Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right, all right. Well, welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. It's always a good time when you can do your Alex impersonation. What's going on? I guys? think I think long, long, awkward silence would have been more appropriate. Well, it wasn't, but we got our host here, <laughs> our guest host, Tomer Strolite. Hi, guys. Sorry, I was having some serious wireless connection problems. It's okay. Hey Tomer, we were we were enjoying a long awkward silence. <laughs> yeah, I had to restart my phone. I, I I was I thought I was going to do this going for a walk, um, and and I'm trying to send messages in the channel, and uh, they're not sending. And I'm like, mm, that's peculiar. So I don't know. At some point, when there's a lull when someone else is talking, I'm going to try connecting to the Wi to the cellular network. But I'm on my. I had to walk back home for the Wi-Fi. So yeah. Welcome, everybody, to Cafe Bitcoin. I don't know what I've missed so far. I'm sure it's been exciting. I heard Peter's voice. So what what, what has what have I missed so far as I stumble onto the stage late for the well, show well, opening? Nothing, to, but I was just thinking to myself, you know, this this um, period of the last couple of weeks since I've, since I've been kind of a part of the show since the lost episodes, for goodness sakes, um, this couple of weeks without Alex has actually been um, quite refreshing we just we just never know what we're going to end up talking about on on these uh in these on these mornings in this in this space uh even with alex but um it's more regimented and directed with with alex and i really have enjoyed the this kind of um it's kind of free association we've been doing over the last uh you know 10 days or whatever it is it's really been it's really been refreshing right well you know i guess the both obviously the lack of alex who, who drives and steers the show and is it's main personality uh along with there hasn't been that much in the way of news um has has probably meant that we've had to explore all sorts of other areas and everyone's busy in the summertime so i think you know i time of the year i try to join almost every day that i can mondays through thursdays i've really only been able to join here and there and so you know, this is this is maybe the second show I'm listening in on this week in in full, and I managed to host one last week. So I guess we're getting a very you know it's like different chefs in the kitchen keep coming in, and although it's the same basic meal, each one's got their own little style, and we don't really um, that uh, the, the metaphor kind of gets broken. We don't have that many specials of the day uh, when it's you know TikTok next block or slow and steady wins the race and. And that seems to be a lot of what's going on, frankly. I know that there's a lot of people pushing for 
for arguments and controversy here and there, but the truth of the matter is none of that is happening uh, particularly quickly or you know, it's not blink, it's not gonna be a blink and you missed it. Some, some big thing has happened, big things in Bitcoin take a really long time and that's a feature, not a bug. Uh, so it's, um, it's, it's the quiet time in the summer, a good time to uh, read up or explore topics that were interesting to you that you didn't feel you had time to explore. So maybe that's something we can find a little bit of time to talk about. Um, and a t- a time hold, to hold on, hold on, Tomer. Yeah. T- yeah. Tomer, hold on. You, you mean, you mean I've got time outside of trying to figure out what Bitcoin is? Oh, no, I meant about other aspects of Bitcoin. No, no, not something other than <laughs> you, you've got certain aspects of Bitcoin that you have had time to research and they were happening fast. You know, there was all this ETF news. There was all this regular SEC prosecution news earlier in the summer. And while there's inching along on that and, you know, some, some things seem to get more, um, more newsy, but. But then like the news breaks on a day and it's like, okay, well, now you got to wait 90 days to see what happens. So hurry up and wait. Um, so I'm just saying this is, I think this is a good time uh, for people. You know, you can do whatever you want with your time. But one of the things you can do is not being distracted by a very hyperactive news cycle. Uh, ask questions, learn about things that have always intrigued you, but haven't seemed to be the most pressing things that you felt needed answered or to, or to learn about. It's a good time to learn about self-custody. It's a good time to learn about what lightning network is. Maybe a good time to learn about how soft forks work, not kind of any, any emergency. And, uh, and if, if, and depending on what, like, I, I think one of the things about this show, as, as Alex rightly points out, is that this, this is a show to educate and inform the other 7 billion people in the world uh, about the benefits of, of Bitcoin. So you can certainly use this show, I'm speaking to anyone out there in the audience, to pose questions either you know, in, the, in the chat under here or in the Telegram group. And we can try to take some time to explore some of these topics because I know, I know people are often afraid to ask there's that great meme it's you know i have no idea what blank is and frankly by now i'm afraid to ask there's no reason to be afraid to ask seven billion people in the world don't know what that thing is either and a lot and they know a lot less than you so um if you've got some questions that that may well be uh something we can we can cover off during some of our time today or just during this period where where the no news is good news story holds right like there's um, everything's just working as it's supposed to be, <laughs> despite the, the enormous craziness in the world, right? Like a lot of, th- and when I say everything is working as it should be, I'm referring to inside of Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is working exactly as it should be, exactly as stated, whereas everything else in the world doesn't seem to be working as expected. We've got all kinds of problems in the economy, all kinds of problems in politics, problems, in healthcare problems and education problems, you know, problems everywhere. If you dare to turn on the news, you find out that the news itself is also a problem, reporting on problems. So it's nice to have something that's working as designed. And and I think maybe it also provides us with some inspiration to know that we can build systems that work as they're supposed to work. But 
but we haven't necessarily been doing that for the last 50 years. Um, and, and that may, I think that's an interesting topic as well. But things that I think are interesting may not be interesting. To, like not everything everyone thinks is interesting. Everyone else shares their view about whether it's interesting or not. So we've got our usual suspects here on stage. And I certainly welcome anybody else who wants to bring up anything that they think is of interest um, to, bit, to Bitcoiners in general uh, up on the stage, especially if you're a regular here. Maybe we'll uh, start today with that. Uh, sorry for that rant and ramble. Does that is that of any use to you, Peter? Peter fell asleep. Tom. Yeah. Okay. That's He's great. It passes bedtime. Hold on. Did, did, it, did you ask me a question? I, I, I was lulled. Your 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 voice does uh, oftentimes lull me into a, a mesmerized state. Well, yeah, we, okay. That's that's kind that's kind of you to say. I won't uh, I won't come at you with did you pull a Mitch McConnell on me there, and it's just nice. Um, anyhow, so so I lulled you into a, a, a state of relaxation, to which you don't have a response to, which is look maybe I've hypnotized everybody here. I have started listening to some of these. Like, <laughs> self-hypnosis relaxation tape sometimes when I go to sleep and the speaker does speak very slowly like this and you find yourself relaxed by the tone of his voice. You know, you content. know, Tomer, I got to yeah. say that, that I go to sleep usually with some kind of Bitcoin Twitter uh, space going on in the background. I'm trying to like absorb knowledge, um, you know, as I'm falling asleep Interesting. and I'm, I'm having nightmares of Magoo. <laughs> I actually listened to uh, Magoo Space for the first time in a long time yesterday. The, the, I was only able to listen for like 20 minutes. I was sent on an errand to pick up dinner because I am the family Uber driver, Uber Eats driver, Uber driver. And so I, I had a chance to listen in. And he was, he, he was it, it felt like a, t a bit of a time warp because he was talking to someone who's an altcoiner who was trying to argue that some other coin was more decentralized than Bitcoin and and that proof of stake was better than proof of work. And and Magoo was, um, as usual, not not particularly kind, but particularly calm and, and, you know, held back some of the metaphors, the extreme metaphors that he usually has. And it was it was refreshing. Was it was it knock up? Was it the one yesterday yeah, with Nakamoto? Yeah. Oh yeah, my Nak god. I, I just I, I loved it. Nakamoto is he is the biggest bud ever. Yeah. So I you know, so it's, lame. It's, sorry, what that guy so what? Lame. Nakamoto -lisk? Yeah, that guy's yeah, that's, such that's an all corner shit corner. I can't even stand listening to that guy talk, but go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it it was interesting and uh and he was just being taken apart uh step by step. And and I was <laughs> I mean, this is not something I would normally say because I, I take a, a pretty different approach at addressing other other people, but um, but uh, Magoo kind of really held his held his calm through it, uh, but also held his conviction. And you know, it's it's nice to when you drop in on some other kind of crazy Twitter space to see um, that even though we may not all agree in style or in, on some details here or there, when it comes to defending and protecting Bitcoin and explaining it with clarity to people who are confused or intentionally misleading others that we are all on the same page and then we do all uh 
have, by and large, the very same reasons and rationales to explain what's going on. So that's, um, you know, you may find Bitcoiners who disagree about some certain things, which is totally fine. Like Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't care that you agree on everything in the world. It's, uh, but the one thing that we all agree on is the rules and the state of the blockchain. We're all in complete agreement as to what the most recent block hash was and what the block hash of every single one of the 800,000 previous blocks, 800,000 plus previous blocks was and what all the details in them were. That's, that's a lot of stuff to agree on, right? We agree on like 500 gigabytes worth of, worth of stuff, which is pretty significant. And we stay in agreement all the time. That's what the Nakamoto consensus algorithm is the innovation is one of the greatest innovations in all of technological history to create something that everyone can agree on that nobody is in charge of uh, it's a it's a profound innovation and uh, and sets the basis for having money that nobody is in charge of rules with no rulers something we can all count on uh, so it that that's kind of uplifting to to my spirit every time i end up reflecting on it when, despite the fact that we're living in times when people disagree about everything else, you know, Bitcoin's the one thing we everyone in the world agrees on. Okay, anyone else still awake? Yes, that is true, Tomer. I like seeing, you know, uh, some common unity with the with the folks against the drive chain and the Bib three hundred three hundred one. You know, you see some folks that are feud quite frequently, but they're aligned. Uh, on opposition to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I've been trying to stay out of the conversation only because, Oh my gosh, I, I remember the last time we had uh, these sorts of disputes and it, it's kind of exhausting. So, but that very fact that uh, knowing that there's lots of other Bitcoiners who are, who are active and involved at this stage in the discussion and the dialogue and saying things that I would say myself does give me the relief to know that um, oh, that Bitcoin doesn't need me to protect it. It's got plenty of other Bitcoiners uh, to protect it. And that's one of the things that always brings me back to. It's like Bitcoin doesn't need any one person in particular, but it benefits from each person in particular who joins it. Everyone has their own way of, of helping it. But if you find yourself, uh, like you don't know one person carries the whole weight of Bitcoin on their shoulders and anyone who claims to doesn't actually understand how this thing works. So, uh, so people, people who seem to think that they're on a mission to save Bitcoin by themselves are probably misguided. And, and that may well be something that's on the flip side of this particular debate, you know, that people think that they need to make a change and, and not that many of them, that they need to make a change that will allow Bitcoin to do something other than be money and that that's necessarily good for Bitcoin. And so this will be that, that debate. I don't know if we really want to go into it today. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But yeah, uh, the Bitcoiners who can disagree with a lot of other things, many of them seem to agree that there's no reason to rush any kind of change to Bitcoin that we don't fully understand what the implications of it would be. And that isn't really about making it better money. It's about giving it abilities of other systems that are trying to do something other than simply be be the best money the world has ever had thing and that's i think that's one of the great things that satoshi really gave to bitcoin he he didn't try to make it 16 different things he tried to make it one thing 
and removed all the other things that prevented it from that would have prevented it from being great at being this one thing that we're all striving to see it become. Right. Nobody wants to jump in on top of that. I understand. So where are we going to take this show today, guys? Well, we, we we have uh, CleanSpark mining in with us later, and we've got some really interesting guests coming in uh, in about an hour um, that are going to take us uh, on this really interesting conversation about about mining, mining improving the energy grid, uh, mining improving the the truly clean energy grid from, from my, I'll share my biases here, although I think this bias is pretty objective. I think the cleanest form of energy we have at electrical generation are nuclear and hydroelectric. And we're going to be talking a little bit about both of those um, things, nuclear in particular. I think one of the terrible things that in my view has happened is uh, the nuclear energy industry got so regulated that it basically ground to a halt in new development. And like we were building nuclear reactors, which had the, have the advantage of being able to be built anywhere. They don't need to be built near a river, near a naturally flowing body of water. Um, and, and the, the transportation of fuel to them doesn't require railroads or other significant infrastructure. So they can be built anywhere and they have use such a dense form of fuel that uh, you know you it, that it's almost unimaginable like we fill our tank with gasoline which is a, which is a dense form of fuel it's denser than coal it's denser than wood uh, as you know and, and but nuclear is like orders of magnitude if you could actually extract if you if you could extract the energy from uh, nuclear material into something like an automobile, you'd, you'd put a coin sized piece of uranium in your car and it would drive your car for its entire life. We, we don't know how to do that on such a small scale right now. We, like the nuclear reactors obviously operate at much larger scale, but they power whole cities um, and you can build them near cities. So it's, it's really beneficial and the city doesn't have to have any particular geographic advantages to it. And it's very safe. You know, there's there's been so much um, disproportionate reporting on. Of course, there was a Chernobyl accident, a terribly built, uh, terribly maintained under a communist regime nuclear reactor where many things were done wrong. People have seen things about that. There was an incident at Three Mile Island that people have heard of, which which I point out, um, and the history shows, like nobody died as a consequence of that. Um, there was an accident. There was a shutdown. There was a, uh, there was. Right, I'll let someone who's more accurate on the history report on it. But but that was the extent of it. And when a tidal wave hit the, hit Japan and killed tens of thousands of people, the tidal wave, the Fukushima nuclear reactor was affected by it, led to a shutdown. And I think it's argued that at most one person died as a consequence of the, of the nuclear reactors damages so these things are extremely safe um and extremely energetic and extremely abundance providing uh for us and and of course we're concerned you know obviously because of the linkage of nuclear energy to nuclear weaponry but these these are very different technologies in fact there, there's no risk that a nuclear reactor is going to become a nuclear bomb it's just not 
it doesn't use the same material. It's not configured in the same way. And um, and so people people obviously worry about these things, but they're they're safer. They're safer than all the other forms of energy that we extract, and uh, the pollution that they cause can be entirely contained. What gets vented into the atmosphere is pure steam, H2O, hot water, um, and all the other com components that are residuals are retained inside the facility and can be captured and can be stored in certain ways. And as we'll probably hear a little bit later on, if the right questions get asked, the actual waste materials from nuclear from the generation of nuclear reactors that we use right now can be used as fuel in the next generation of nuclear reactors, which are even more safe because uh, they don't risk run the risk of meltdowns and they don't rely on active systems to deal with problems. They're able to shut themselves down through their own operations if they're, if something uh, goes outside the normal operating boundaries. These molten salt reactors, as they're called, and small small modular reactors, as they're called by like the generic the generic name. So we're we're standing on the cusp of reigniting a technological revolution that was taking place that, for irrational reasons, um, reasons of fear mostly, but irrational fear slowed down and it really slowed down the progress of our civilization like our access to abundant cheap power has diminished and we're all feeling uh, aspects of it now and uh, and i hope that this really turns around in the next decade or two and um and this is obviously also not unrelated to bitcoin bitcoin is this um really interesting technology that allows you to consume the energy that's being produced by things before there's other demand for it. So you, so these small modular reactors can be placed in communities where they overprovide uh, for the community, but the community is intended to grow. And so you don't need to build a reactor as the more reactors as the community grows. You take one that's, that's oversupply. And what do you do with the oversupply of energy? You mine Bitcoin with it. So Bitcoin can consume, Bitcoin mining can consume the energy. It can actually pay for part of the cost of creating the reactor and as more more, more demand comes as the community grows which often happens at communities that have cheap electrical power and good infrastructure uh you can move the bitcoin miners elsewhere to the next community that you're building so that's a kind of a simplified version of the model but um this is not just like a pipe dream there are tests underway there's orders underway uh, to experiment with doing this sort of thing. And uh, and I know that Nuclear Bitcoiner, who I think is one of the scheduled guests later today, uh, is really involved in that. He's been working uh, with an agency of the Canadian government to pioneer commissioning uh, the first of these small modular reactors and getting them placed in communities where they will uh, provide power. You know, it, it, just as another point, point there are many com small communities that don't have traditional electric generating facilities like um, like like plants, right? That what, what actually ends up happening to much smaller communities is trucks filled with diesel are are driven there and diesel is burned to with through generators to generate electricity for small communities. Imagine instead of shipping the diesel tanker after diesel tanker after diesel tanker which is expensive, unreliable, polluting, uh, just leaving 
uh, a small modular reactor there. That's just, these things are only the size of a truck themselves. They, they can fit on a truck. Uh, so that's, that can be the future. And, and you can imagine a much more decentralized future in that sense. It's a decentralized future in that there's self-sustaining power generation, not dependent on oil shipments from other parts of the country, but like a, a good three-year battery, which is, um, which is nuclear fuel uh, powering an entire community that can be disconnected from the rest of the grid of the world, connected via the internet, but disconnected from the remainder of the electric grid. doesn't have to be wired up in the same way. It can use satellite communications and able to participate in the Bitcoin economy because Bitcoin requires the internet only. Um, and not just active in using Bitcoin, but active in helping mine it, which is securing the network in a decentralized way. And these sorts of communities can pop up all over the place. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying next year, but with, within a decade or two, when the production of these small scale nuclear plants uh, ramps up and these, these plants are, are become particularly efficient when you mass produce them. And again, mass producing, I'm not saying like the automobile, like there's one for every household, not yet. That's a thing of science fiction. But when you manufacture five at once, whereas traditional nuclear installations are it's like one big plant is commissioned, it's customized, it's you know, it's built in place, it's not portable, obviously. There's, there's a fundamental difference between uh, the small modular reactors and the traditional nuclear power generating stations that we're familiar with. These things are actually portable and safe. Whew, Peter, you're awake. I hope your hand is up and you're still awake. Yes, I was I was just going to say that um, this is the reason that I hate this show. Um, every time I come on here, there's something else I have to learn, more work I have to do. Um, if you don't want to do the work, don't self-custody, don't run a node, don't listen to the show, because these are rabbit holes that require work that you just have. I'm compelled to go down these rabbit holes now. And um, thank you, Tomer. I hate you, Mike. I was just going to add like the off of Tomer's very uh, accurate and concise rant there uh, that the, 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 the fascinating thing is that Bitcoin mining is actually like the, the perfect wed of energy and like uh, just general demand as far as Bitcoin mining goes. Because once you get a nuclear reactor spooled up, the, the supply is effectively consistent like once you do, once you establish what the what the necessary supply is as far as the energy output you can maintain it for a relatively long consistent period of time now obviously there's there's some uh, nuance to that uh for those that don't know like nuclear reactors do require um consistent maintenance and shutdowns and those shutdowns can can take a decent amount of time um but that is obviously also improving every time we come out with these new uh, Mark threes and Mark fours that are very heavily automated. Um, I, I would recommend people looking up kind of like Wikipedia has actually some pretty good information around the Mark threes and Mark fours that once these facilities are built, they can be run by a very small skeleton crew. Uh, a, a good example would be like the, those of you who are fans of Hollywood and Star Trek, um, I think it was Star Trek Into Darkness, the one with Khan. Uh, they they have the that ship, the the massive dreadnought that can be run by a very small crew. That's effectively how nuclear reactors operate now, at least the newer ones. And the one of the problems that we also ran into that Tomer kind of like danced around was that 
when we built all the reactors that the U.S. was relying on. And then we ran into that regulatory <clears throat> uh, minefield that stopped the development of new projects. It effectively forced the current and running projects of the time to be used well beyond their intended um, use date or their, their life cycle. So like the like so like for example, there was a reactor in my hometown back in Iowa, the Dwayne Arnold facility. Um, it was it ended up being run being ran multiple decades beyond what was intended, and then you all that obviously starts to you start to run into serious safety implications when it comes to that. Um, but again, to the point that was made is that even if even like running into the safety implications, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's like there's not going to be risk of a meltdown causing massive irradiation or turning into some nuclear explosion. Like a lot of people like to have been, have been taught to, um, to believe in it's, it's just a, a unfortunate, massive mythologized propaganda push that is just ridiculous. And we need to get to the point of expanding nuclear generation as fast as and safe as possible at this point. Cause I think we, all of us girls up here on stage would agree that, energy demand is not going down anytime soon. And what's worse than like going even further is that we're looking at the whole kind of like restructuring of the globalized um, multipolar world. And if we're going to be pulling manufacturing stateside, we're, that doesn't mean that energy demand is going down. It means the exact opposite. The energy demand is going to go up. And that means that we're looking at a situation here where cost of energy is only going to go up. And that means that cost of living standards are going to go down. It's just, it's not a good, um, not a good situation for the average American family. Bitcoin mining is going to save everything as far as that goes. It, it is, a, you know, that's a bold claim that Bitcoiners make. And, and obviously I think, I think implied in there is d different degrees of confidence of that statement, you know, really hope it's really possible it's really possible uh that, that this will happen some may have the full conviction like <laughs> they've analyzed it and they're certain that this will be uh the direction where it goes but a lot of things still have to um still have to play out right we're still in the early days of of that prediction right so it's a, like you're not going to say bitcoin mining is going to solve everything by 2024 um it's going to take substantially longer uh, for a lot of this stuff to get going, but uh, you know, in terms of raising people's spirits and looking for hope, and I, this is one of the things I I, I want to slightly pivot to um, in general in the conversation. This is very positive signs. Like we are seeing all over the world, investments in energy that are going to provide energy to people, but they're going to start by providing energy in part to Bitcoin. And, and the Bitcoin mining aspect of these energy projects will allow them to be built so that communities of human beings can grow, can gradually consume more energy without finding themselves needing every step of the way to add power in, power generation infrastructure because Bitcoin will have created a surplus um, as, as we've gone here. And if indeed we see that that surplus is driving the mass production of highly efficient small modular nuclear reactors as ex as an example each of which get which gets cheaper and better and quicker to produce that's a really nice thing to see like mass producing energy 
um, in ways that we haven't been doing because we've been struck by fear or by technological uh, technological limitations. The technological limitation, by the way, being forget the fear of nuclear energy. It's like, what do we do with all the excess power if we build a lot of excess power generation? We don't have the technology. We don't actually have technology to consume that excess power generation. It's not like you can store it in a battery. It's not like you can just let it into the atmosphere. You need some something to consume it. And this, is, again, is where Bitcoin becomes a slowed balancer. Bitcoin mining becomes a slowed balancer. It can consume literally any volume of energy. Um, and and so as as we expand the energy output of humanity, we we can expand the consumption of humanity from well, Bitcoin to whatever's produced. And, and yeah. Tomer, on, on top of that, like the, the my favorite part of this whole conversation is that like, this relationship, whether it, and obviously it doesn't have to just be nuclear. It's just nuclear is a very simple and easy, um, like point to use in the conversation. My favorite part is that like the combination of energy generation and Bitcoin mining, we can effectively build out capacity well beyond what society needs right now. And we can consume that excess with Bitcoin mining. And then as society continues to develop and evolve and, and upgrade to the point of having greater demand. This, then that like that civilization or that society or that country or that local community can then can like grow the amount of energy that they're taking from that that output and the Bitcoin miners can go elsewhere and find cheap energy where where like wherever it's located right so like we can effectively flood all of the world with energy or energy capacity and then as that demand grows it can be those electrons can be re-diverted back to the grid or to the industrial sector or commercial or residential or whatever is needed that's very yeah. exciting no it, it is incredible and it was um it, there, you know there's been a lot of ideas in the past year that have been tossed out there and it is it, it's like one of them by someone who i know not everybody here as a fan of one of these ideas said that you know bitcoin is like a global computer that's that's pur purpose designed to be uh hard to make state changes in it you require lots of energy and so it operates off of a global battery or a global energy production grid that needs to get bigger and bigger and bigger to keep operating um, to keep operating the system so it does create incentives all over the world to generate power whether that's using cheap local sources of energy like the volcano uh, energy in places like El Salvador, running water right across Africa, or as we said, like by uh, with small modular reactors uh, that can be placed anywhere where you have a small population of people in need of electricity using something very expensive and efficient and dirty right now, you replace it with something clean and use the excess energy that these things can provide uh, to just hum along uh, mining Bitcoin until that population finds other demand for the for the energy and uses that instead of Bitcoin. And then all you need to ship somewhere else in the world is the proportion of Bitcoin miners that now no, are no longer needed because the population is using them. There'll always be some amount that's um, that's there to consume the weight, the volatility in demand from day to day and month to month. But if you have your base load demand grow as the population doubles, for example, the base load demand doubles, but it might still be only a third of the or two thirds of the capacity of a small modular reactor. You you keep you keep on board enough Bitcoin miners. You keep locally enough Bitcoin miners to consume that remaining th third um, and and the volatility. 
between daytime and nighttime, season to season, and ship the rest off um, to some other community that's now getting their first small modular reactor or some other community that's building a large hydroelectric or what do we call the heat-based systems like a volcanic energy. Well, we'll just call it volcanic. Uh, geothermal. geothermal. Yeah, thank you. I'm getting older as well, like Peter, every day, one day older. So words like geothermal that I don't use often, I have to reach deeper into to get a hold of them. But where I was going to take this a little bit was kind of on this message of hope. I, I still have an investment advisor and I met with him just the other day and he was saying, boy, you know, I don't see a lot of happy people coming into my office. Everybody's concerned about all of these things. And he's, it seems like he's starting to come around to a lot of the things that uh, Bitcoiners have been have been talking about. And, and it was he, not me, which was interesting. He said, this is kind of where this Bitcoin thing that you're into, Tomer, is really uh, a measure of hope. And, and his rationale was because we've lost trust in so many things. We've lost trust in the news. He, he went into you know what his news watching and reading habits were over the last 20 years, but that he's completely lost trust in the news. He's lost trust in the politicians. He's lost trust in the healthcare system. And, um, and what he understands enough about Bitcoin after, you know, not really spending a ton of his time other than me bending his ear, I think over, over years is this is a system that you can trust because it doesn't have a corruptible human beings in it who you can't trust at the end of the day, who sooner or later betray that trust. And it was interesting to hear him saying that thing, because in a sense, it's, it's essentially what Satoshi said in the email that he used to launch Bitcoin. And he said, the problem in the current financial system is all the trust that's involved, all the trust that's required. And we really do have to trust so many people. And it's, it's an unfortunate but re- realistic statement that people can betray trust people can breach trust if people are put in a position of trust and they are vulnerable um they may to protect themselves to to get ahead to succumb to some something or other that breaks them betray that trust and and i think that's something that a lot of us have seen happen in recent years and and that's what's creating this sense of despair um well if we can't trust our medical community and we can't trust the government bureaus that are meant to protect us to protect us and we can't trust our teachers and we can't trust uh, who can we trust and what we can trust is the things that can't be breached the laws of math the laws of physics um, and I think that's again I keep going back and praising this system of Bitcoin like here's a system that doesn't rely on trusting people in charge doesn't rely on us having them the most trustworthy people in charge of the system is like we all run it for ourselves. Um, and in so doing, we create a system where nobody needs to be trusted. Um, and, and so we have this beacon. Um, and, and the beauty of it, to, to bring it back, the beauty of it being connected to energy, which is it, it, like ener- energy production is actually the measure of wealth and health in a civilization. Uh, when you look at the long-term historical charts, like I'm saying going back to the 1700s, when people started to use coal uh, to generate energy, to move things around and to heat their homes, uh, other than just burning burning logs and using the horse and carriage, civilization changed, right? This, this led to the era of industri- industry, industrialization, mass production, longer lives, our lives, you know, the average lifespan went from 
somewhere in the mid thirties to in the seventies, right? how, how old you, you can, you can expect to be infant mortality rates dropped like crazy because we were able to provide health healthcare right throughout. And this is all highly correlated to energy. Uh, I know some people say correlation is not causality, but in, in, the, in this case, it is like a very high percentage of the reason we are able to do the things we are, are able to do is because we have access to energy, things, machines that do work so that people don't have to do work. You could, the machines that do more work than all the people in the world combined could do even if they tried to do the work, right? Like you just, you can't do these things. Skyscrapers go up in a matter of a year or two. Uh, it, I, I don't know how long it took to build the pyramids, which aren't as big as skyscrapers, but I'm sure they were longer projects in a year or two. And they relied on human labor, maybe some animal labor, but there was no crane. There was no machine that did the work. <laughs> the, the, work the workers, I'm sure, were not, were not overweight sitting in chairs pulling levers. Uh, they were working themselves to death uh, to, to put these things together. So it's just the connection between energy and abundance, hopefulness, happiness is huge. And so we should be striving um, to be as abundant and safe, of course, in our energy production as possible. But when we become so fearful of energy that we think it's going to melt the ice caps, boil the oceans, um, radioactively uh, cause us all to mutate or die of something, we become afraid of the very thing that's uh, that we should be embracing. And we have the ability to build these things safely. They've been operating safely. Like there are hundreds of nuclear reactors all over the world that have been operating perfectly safely for generations now. Um, and so we shouldn't be afraid of these things. We should, we should be smart about them. And, and I, again, I think when we tie these things all up in peak in author, authorities, bureaucracies that ultimately are operated by people whose trust sooner or later will be violated or betrayed, things lose sight of where they're going. But when they're connected to something that's decentralized and just rewards power generation, continuous, safe, clean power generation, it it takes the teeth out of the wicked side of this thing and gives it back to those who can actually produce objectively, right? Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't say, are you a good guy or a bad guy? It's like, did you produce energy? Did you do the proof of work? Did you do the work? That's what I care about. And I, I think that objectivity is is really, really powerful in a world where everyone's trying to say, oh, but that guy's the bad guy. This time the good guy. You should take this from me or the other. Anyhow, I'm starting to ramble, so I'm going to stop myself. Starting to ramble. That's all I ever do is ramble. I see hands up. Dom, Mick, Steve. Yeah, Tomer, going back to something you were talking about, uh, at the start of that run and Mike was mentioning it with energy, you know, there's a huge, op there's a huge opportunity alignment. I put something in the nest and it was from the chief investment officer of the largest pension fund in the country. And what she says, if you watch it is we need to start, you know, we as a pension fund, and, and this is a lot of funds, right? Uh, there's, there's tons of funds. It's not just pension funds, institutional funds, uh, you know, uh, you know, home offices, tons of funds, that the equation has changed with inflation and the rate environment, that the basically the comment is we need to start looking to other areas to fill the gap and keep up with what we, with the goals of our fund. And she mentions specifically infrastructure. 
and the opportunity alignment for Bitcoin to step in, you know, like I'm trying to scream at some folks that can't see it, but it's so clear based on what we're talking about and what you guys are talking about that Bitcoin has the opportunity to come in and fill that, that spot perfectly as an infrastructure partner for massive funds, governments to come in and say, yes, uh, equities and just simple like investment strategies are not enough. We need to invest in infrastructure that can generate returns that can keep pace with, with things like equities. And on top of that, we get an energy partner that is going to be better at, at sustaining, uh, you know, basically puts a lot of these ESG narratives and goals to shame because built into the mechanism of proof of work is finding the best energy and all types of energy, and they can be incentivized. And governments, if they were really serious about renewable energy and, and weren't just, you know, um, plug and play and, and using it uh, as a tool, you know, they would find that Bitcoin mining uh, would actually be able to help them achieve uh, renewable energy goals better than just, you know, building out massive infrastructure that, as Tomer's pointing out, can only capture so much energy at this time and ends up dumping and wasting a lot of solar, wind, uh, geothermal, etc. So this opportunity is massive right now for Bitcoin to come in as a partner. You know, I just hope funds can see it. And the first funds that do see it, whether it's a state like Alaska, right, that, that can use Bitcoin mining as uh, an infrastructure partner that not only generates returns over the years, but serve some of their goals and energy, like it's going to be massive because you're going to see that state, that fund uh, start winning at, at a very significant scale. And they're going to be able to achieve all their goals and, and folks are going to have to look and go, how did they do this? Uh, yeah. So it's really you know what's interesting, Dom, and I'm, I'm going to come right back to you, Mickey, and I promise to keep my rant under a minute. Uh, this is where you start to see that Bitcoin is more than just a breakthrough in money. It's more than just a breakthrough in finance. It's it's a breakthrough in energy. It's a breakthrough in government. It's a breakthrough in a lot of different things. And these are these technological breakthroughs when they first occur. This has happened many times in history. Oil was one such thing. Like who 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 would like oil just seems so dirty and yucky and hard to get a hold of whereas you just feed hay to horses and horses are plentiful and abundant uh but you know if it's a lot easier to get really clean versions of oil now there's one at every gas station and there's a gas station at every corner whereas hay and horses are hard to find so these revolutions they take time to happen but they but they happen when these technological shifts happen and what you're describing and i think what we're talking about is these the way these things all fit together we're sitting at the precipice of another technological revolution that's going to change how humanity generates energy um, and governs itself and it's really big and and, and it, it, it details money energy government like all of these things are involved and you can see it shaping up in the bitcoin story and it's early and some people see it and some people kind of have a blurry sense of it and other people don't see it at all and they're conservative in their nature and they think nothing will ever change this stuff changes. I, I did write an article called The Bitcoin Breakthrough that you can find on the Swan blog that tries to talk about some of this, but I promise to keep it to a minute. So Mickey, take it away. I think there's about three minutes, actually. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, 
I, th- I think we're sort of at the precipice of, of significant change. So a, a lot of people, you know, talk about renewables and stuff. But, you know, if you look at Texas during the last couple of heat waves, wind power had been generating at five to eight percent of capacity, meaning that if you want to count on that power being there, you need like 13 to 20 times more power to make up for the unpredictability and when the wind blows. But if you have that much wind power on hand and it's just rocking at full speed, you're going to melt all the power lines and like blow up transformers and stuff. And so you, you sort of need, and, and I think more people are, are starting to catch on to this. You, you need Bitcoin mining. So Bitcoin mining does not need renewable energy. Renewable energy needs Bitcoin mining. And I, I think people are sort of starting to catch on to that. And then at the same time, I think it sort of fundamentally changes the economics behind um, baseload energy, right? And so right now you got nuclear reactors that are just big enough to cover like the minimum demand when demand bottoms out in like the middle of the night, right? And that's just economics because there was no consumer of energy. There was not enough people or demand to like amortize those costs and justify building the plant's bigger but right now you can add you know maybe not right now but within the next like five ten years potentially predicting that you could build instead of having just one nuclear reactor cover your baseload energy you could just add like two three four small modular reactors and then just attach bitcoin mining and instead of ramping you know energy up to meet demand you just sort of turn the bitcoin mining down to release more to the grid. Um, and so that's, that's sort of where I see. And then and then I think there's also like this big cultural tipping point as well. You know, earlier this year, I remember seeing like those articles about, about eggs, you know, killing people. Um, um, and then, you know, bugs, you got to eat bugs to save the world. Um, and then, and then you sort of get this like 12 year old kid come out of nowhere. who's just defiant against the teachers. You got Oliver Anthony who just went on Joe Rogan yesterday. Um, and so, and so I think there's a lot of change right now and, and people are sort of realizing that things have gone too far. And I, and I think we're at a tipping point to sort of swing back in the other direction and, and the general public is, is sort of primed for Bitcoin in ways that they potentially haven't been before. And so I think, I think this is sort of the big moment. A lot of that infrastructure, the, the power systems and the, the internet services, ISPs, there's a lot of monopoly going on in, in, in North America. Um, and it's, it's quite sad that they've been spending all the rebates and incentives they've been getting from government and mostly just buying new houses and, you know, taking vacations instead of actually, uh, you know, repairing the infrastructure that's necessary. You know, Texas is unique because they have their own power grid compared to the rest of North America, which which has a East Coast and a West Coast grid, generally speaking. Uh, that allows a lot of this, this uh, I guess, law to, to – it makes it easier for people to operate in Texas, but it's very hot there. You know, and so I, I, I'm just hoping that the introduction of Bitcoin into these infrastructure companies starts to not only increase efficiencies, um, I hope it starts to expose corruption. I, I hope people start to talk more about how much money these people are wasting 
you know, why we all don't have fiber optics at our homes, although these companies have been paid many times over to, to install those, um, why our power grids fail during winter seasons like happened in 2021, causing dozens of people to die because instead of maintaining and updating that infrastructure, uh, you know, they were uh, ignoring that. So, so hopefully Bitcoin is the reason that both the corruption goes away and uh, the efficiencies increase because bo both of those things will cause a massive improvement for, for consumers. Yeah, that's, that's why I think it's important to look at the history of technological revolutions and recognize that this is likely another one of those. And, and that you can see the patterns that there, there is, um, there's a lot of waste and like the old system has matured. There is, there's, there's people who have power in the old system and you, you can call it corruption. Like different people see it differently from where they, where they stand and they, they feel like they're providing all this value to civilization. And so sh why shouldn't they have nice homes and high margins? And, uh, and then w what ends up happening is technological breakthroughs don't particularly care about people's opinions. They are either better than the previous technology or not. And if they are better, they end up, they end up winning despite, um, active measures to resist them. They just overwhelmingly end up winning. Well, Tomer, I would just, you know, I, I hear you talking a lot about that stuff. And I just, I would just argue that a lot of the most impressive technological advancements in the last 30, 40 years have been put in drawers and never brought to light by companies like GE and General Dynamics. You know, so you, you say that because the technology is better, it will get adopted. I don't know if that's necessarily true. A lot of these technologies are, are, are kept from us, right? Uh, scooters that run on water, hydrogen systems the guy the guy who invented it was fucking killed for god's sake right like this stuff happens all the time where this technology is purchased the wireless charging you know the vr headsets we're using today are essentially the same technology that we had in 1998 so i would just i would argue that this is probably going to be a much slower process than most people appreciate we're here very early and that's a massive benefit to us but for bitcoin to really change people's lives, they have to have a certain level of education, just like finances. And here in Canada, we talked about how the public-private key could save us over $13 million in resetting government service passwords. And now we don't have to do that. But the concern is the public and private key education. You know, what's the likelihood that Canadians are going to give their private keys away? Uh, and be defrauded because of that. And what's the system to change that on chain? So the Canadian government thinks absolutely 100% blockchain technologies, public-private key management would solve $13 million of one problem alone in Canada every year. But they fear that we're 25 years away from the education that the citizens will need to do that safely. So I would just, I would just consider this to be more of a 25-50 year approach. Uh, the, the change of stores of value, this is this is a multi-generational change. You know, this generally uh, happens I, over two or three I, generations. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, the technological revolutions, uh, you know, I, I think it was, um, well, I'm trying to remember which scientist said this, 
I may I may be wrong about this, um, but I think it was Max Planck who said that scientific progress doesn't happen with discoveries; it happens with funerals because you you have the old guard who has who is set in their ways, and there's new discoveries, but they're so resistant that even in the field of science, uh, it's only when they pass on that the science that the science can move forward. And I think it's, there's a similar pattern that 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 is requ- that is required in a lot of things. So. Uh, these te- these technological breakthroughs don't just get made and then everything changes. It, it does change over generations, right? It takes time when you discover how big a hydroelectric plant you can build to get an approval for something like a Hoover Dam, and then it takes time to build a Hoover Dam, and then and then it has the energy that it generates and distributes and the wiring that you need to transmit it everywhere. None of these things happen overnight, and there are people who resist these things greatly. Like you can take a look at any of these great projects; they all had opponents who were from an incumbent system so i'm not saying it's going to happen overnight and, and I, even even with this quick talk about these small modular reactors i you know it's going to be eight years before the first of these things really is is potent, built and there might be delays and there might be delays for legitimate reasons and there might be delays for reasons of corruption but at the end of the day the momentum is is what's building i think what's unique about Bitcoin in comparison to some of these other technologies that you mentioned that I may not be familiar with enough to to even hold an opinion about. You're saying like the guy who invented it was killed. Like Bitcoin's out of the bag and it's unstoppable and there's no one to kill. There's no one person or even small group of people to kill to stop it. So it's a, it's survivability is one of these things that just makes it keep marching forward inch by inch, step by step. It's global nature prevents any one national government from having enough of an impact on it to stop it. And oftentimes we actually see if, if there's one government that's interested in stopping it, that's creating an incentive for another government to keep it going. And and the baton could, like one day, the government that wanted to stop it could wake up and say they want to start it and, and vice versa. And Bitcoin doesn't care. As long as there's someone somewhere in the world wanting to keep it going, it keeps going. And and so I, I think this is one of the really unique aspects. It's slow and steady wins the race, right? It's not. It's not take. It's taking over completely, only through co- completely voluntary participation. Nobody's forced to use Bitcoin, so it slows it. It's slower in the sense of where there's force used to. Uh, in, but but, but Tomer, adoption. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, you know, and I, you know, I agree with those takes as well. But I think so. So Bitcoin was all started by those cypherpunks. And, and and I don't know about you guys, but cypherpunks are definitely my spirit animals. Um, and I think they had a lot of the good perspectives of why this space was important. They brought over the evolving benefit of the peer-to-peer space, torrents, file sharing, those distributed communication technologies. Those were all built into what Bitcoin is a part of. Like torrents technology is inside of Bitcoin. It's part of the, the gossip protocol, the distribution nature of it. That's part of why... Even Bitcoin could be attacked today successfully. Tomorrow wouldn't matter because we have that gossip protocol. We have that that consensus mechanism. But the space itself in the last year and a half has been, you know, essentially everything but Bitcoin has been co-opted. Quite literally, we saw the MICA bill in Europe co-op six of the top 10 cryptocurrencies, getting them to fall into uh, play with the regulators. Um, less than $250,000 of transactions a day, um, black and banned uh, uh, wallet addresses and much more. Uh, we saw academia oh, no. now now oh, coming. No. One second on them. Just give me a sec, sorry. 
That's all right, man. That's all uh, right. We saw Academia um, now being uh, being taken over the same way the corporations do. They're using groups like the Crypto Research Initiative to fund these universities, Stanford, Carnegie Mellon, MIT, Harvard, etc. And they're using that to incentivize and accumulate huge uh, consensus coins. So the universities now, the named universities, the five named universities are the largest holders of consensus tokens. So these are tokens that give you voting rights on the protocol. Um, now, the groups that are funding the crypto research initiative, that lobby group, those are the corporations. And as those students advance out of academia and move into government, they're going to pass laws that are favorable for those corporations. And then they're going to get incredibly comfortable board positions at those companies later in life. Um, so academia has already been, as far as I'm concerned, co-opt in the space, uh, that, that Cantillon effect that goes on. Um, and then lastly, we saw JP Morgan take over dozens and dozens of heavily valued IP in the space. He ended up with the Send Network, Silicon Valley Bank, and a lot of the other accounts and assets held by those groups. So if you're a tech company or you're a blockchain company, JP Morgan in a single year ended up with most of your accounts, if, if you liked it or not. And I think that will continue to happen. So I think we just really need to be fearful of how centralized this could get and what consensus on Bitcoin might look like 25 years from now. Because it won't look like what we think. It won't be what the cypherpunks want. It'll be what normies want. That will be the consensus. Um, so that we gotta we gotta keep the privacy and the, the, the private key stuff. You know, we gotta keep that front and center. I, I think you and I are largely in agreement. And as I said before, Bitcoiners can disagree about a number of things and still all hold to the same core values. When that, I certainly I, I'm certain that we share the same core values, which you've started and ended your uh, your your little cypherpunk values and the privacy and the privacy values. And um, and I, I don't want to like air about um, air out what might be a bit of a difference in views because I, I think for me you telling me that academia has been co opted is like of course uh, right I, it, it's it's become it's become that way for a really long it's been that way for a really long time I I went to university in the 1990s I think it was co opted back then it just it's just more easy to see at this point that. That it's financialized. I mean, you walk. <laughs> what wasn't true when I went to university was that there were corporate branding sponsorship names of the schools themselves and each of the individual rooms in the schools. I went to a university not that long ago to deliver a speech about Bitcoin, and I spoke in the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce uh, lecture hall. And it's like, give me a break. Like, if you, you know, it's like, is this independent academic or are they? all beholden to the bank logos and corporate logos that adorn every single room in this thing. Like the thing has been a total sellout and it's obvious that it's a total sellout now. It may have been more subtle in my time. So it's like, thank you for painting your, thank you for painting your colors and, and not camouflaging yourself anymore uh, is, is what I want to say. And, and I, and again, I just go back to how big of a revolution and how big of a breakthrough we're actually going through because so many of our old institutions are no longer serving the purpose that they were intended to serve terribly well. Like, 
higher education has become financialized. It's very expensive. It, it was, by the way, when I went in, <laughs> when I went into that fancy named uh, lecture hall, it was still the same seats that I sat on thirty years before. <laughs> like nothing had gone up except for the cost. It, it was it is now. I want to say like almost a hundred times as expensive uh, to to get tuition. It's like thirty times as expensive to pay for to pay for the same old professor now thirty years older and sit in the same old chair now thirty years older and hear the same old spiel um, that wasn't that didn't Keynesian that didn't make sense to me when I was in school in the nineteen nineties. That makes even less sense now. But it's the, it's the same thing except it's way more expensive and financialized. So I'm not I'm not surprised to hear any of these things. Is the, the p- protecting the purity, the independence of Bitcoin, and not letting it co- get co-opted is the battle. I agree. You know, the complacency amongst people who use the system is the greatest danger uh, to to Bitcoin. And and right now we're still in a point where we have a lot of people who understand these cypherpunk ethos, whether they understand them to be originated in the cypherpunk movement or in the fathers of of um, the founding fathers of the United States or in John Locke, like people draw back to various points in history and maybe this point in history too will have its um, historic speakers. But the maintenance, uh, you know, this is a different way to protect our rights, uh, Bitcoin. And, and so that means it's a different way than government. It's a different way than traditional universities. It's a different way than all than what we have relied on in the past to protect our rights. And why are we interested in it? Well, in part because the old way doesn't seem to be working for us anymore. So we need this new way. So I, I got I'm, since I'm asking tough questions, Omar, I got one for you. Um, Bitcoin has been proven to be money you can't fuck with in the most literal sense. And all the people using it to do weird shit on the Internet back in the day proved that they could stop it. I think that's a really important value of Bitcoin. But it seems looking at companies like Binance, that the vast majority of Bitcoin transactions in a day right now are perhaps being used uh, as that benefit, using that utility uh, through things like money laundering and you know capital flight. And certainly when you look on chain, it seems the vast majority of transactions on Binance seems to be related to that space. So what, what do you make of the money laundering on Bitcoin? And first thing, I think it's a benefit. It shows that it's redundant technology that can't be messed with. But if the vast majority of transactions in any day are Bitcoin uh, laundering, money laundering, what does that mean for the, the protocol itself still? Well, I, I don't know where you, where you draw that presumption from. I, I certainly haven't heard that the vast majority of on-chain activity is, is money laundering. I've, I've heard studies to the contrary. And again, this gets you to where we live in this world where people can make completely opposing claims and it's very hard to validate I either of these claims. So, but if I if I was to grant you your presumption and say, you know, the, the next question for me comes, well, like, what is defined as money laundering? Is it is it the attempt to be able to spend money that's been gotten through illegal means? And what what in particular are the illegal means in, in many countries? Having you know, having having money and choosing to spend it is is some form of crime. So I don't know enough about what you're saying to really be able to respond uh, to it. I th- from what I know personally, um, which is which is not a worldwide survey. It's it's the um, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, 
again, getting old, uh, losing words that I don't use very often. Um, but it, it's, it's my, just from a personal experience, I see people using Bitcoin as savings technology and occasionally spending some of their Bitcoin on legitimate purchases. So I'm not really seeing um, something that I would describe as money laundering or I can't remember what other accusation you had. of. Yeah, it was just finances because you're talking about money that's being stored, right, as a store of value. And the vast majority of transactions on Binance are liquid transactions that they continue to move through things like Bitcoin and, and Tether, as an example. So they don't they don't show that traditional be purchased and stored like a lot of things do. But that's not necessarily money laundering, right? Like when people are using uh, are using Tether in particular to pay for things, it's because it's a proxy for the U.S. dollar, which many people in the world want to use but don't have easy access to because they have to use physical U.S. dollars because they don't have access to banking. Like the a huge population of the world is unbanked and would like to use um, the dollar because that's what they're familiar with. And so they are able to use it through through Tether, ironically, um, which is you know largely permissionless. It could, could be censored, but many of these smaller transactions by individuals all over the world simply aren't aren't scrutinized enough to try to, you know, uh, and participating with the governments enough to prevent people from now being able to get their hands on U.S. dollars through Tether, a U.S. dollar proxy through Tether. Most people obviously are not in a position to redeem it for actual physical dollars, but some people are, and they're making the market, and and it's serving a purpose, this dollarization of economies that are otherwise dominated by a fiat currency that's way worse than the dollar. So that, that I mean, that's that's a big part of how I understand the situation to be. I don't have eyes on the ground. I'm not in Africa. I'm not in South Central America. I'm not seeing exactly how this is all playing out, but you know, and different of us have different sources of information and different views of what might or might not be true. I, I don't, I don't claim to have a, a perfect view of the truth here. I think there's a broad spectrum of possibilities and there's probably some truth to many of the, uh, the declarations that are made, so it's not extreme an extreme of one way or the other only. But but as far as if you're talking about look the continuity of Bitcoin and the you know, the dollar is the dollar has lost ninety some odd percent of its purchasing power in the last hundred years, even since 1913. We used to buy thirty chocolate bars for a single dollar. It's now one chocolate bar, uh, not even right uh, and. It's like a cup of coffee at McDonald's. I used to buy later on. I used to buy thirteen beers. Can you imagine getting thirteen beers for a dollar? Well, that's not some fiction. That's that's the reality of it. Um, and then foreign currencies have done even worse. They've lost ninety percent plus of their value against the U.S. dollar in many cases. So people are looking for a money they can count on. The the U.S. dollar has this incredibly powerful brand for being the currency of the most powerful nation in the world and having held up so well against those other currencies. But people in the US now are saying, hmm, I'm dealing with inflation again. This is uh, for some people who are old enough to remember it's the second time they've had to deal with it in their lives. For other people, it's the first time, but it's very significant. And and the inflation's, of course, been so much worse than what's reported, especially when you look at financialized necessities like um, homes, right? like real estate, and like education, which for many people has been essential uh, and and gone up in price so much, and I, I worry that things like food are becoming financialized, uh, where where you have payment plans 
Uh, and people are prepared to loan you money to buy food now, which you have to then buy back with interest later. I, I'm just not like it, it's a system that a lot of people who come on this channel, especially the macroeconomic analysts, say like it's headed for collapse. It's mathematically certain that it's untenable. And so you want something, I don't know if it's a word, that is tenable, right? You want something that is survivable. And Bitcoin being a debt-free money system that's uninflatable, not financializable to the people who choose to hold it natively are, is, is a light at the end of the tunnel and probably the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, my buddy Surfer Jim is back yeah, with his hand up. Hey guys, uh, I got triggered when the subject of money laundering came up and I just felt like I needed to get up here and uh, get on my soapbox and tell people about money laundering. Okay, so let's just break it down, right? You've got some human beings who have co-opted control over other human beings, right? That's what a government is. They've found a way to produce something called money and they, and they produce it out of thin air and they're able to pay enforcers to keep the power that they have over the rest of us. And then they write magic words on paper, which dictate how we're allowed to act. And they've decided that if they can't track what you do with your money, you're doing something illegal. And they've given it a name called money laundering. You're taking your money and you're disconnecting it from where you got it from. And they don't like that because they can't see it. and They can't judge if you're being a good guy. Fuck those motherfuckers. I'm sorry. Those bastards have destroyed this world, and money laundering is just one more of their stupid fucking games that Bitcoin is going to its gonna take that away from them one day, right? So I believe this is a couple generation takeover where Bitcoin rules the world, and those people can't do those things anymore. But we're stuck in a world where they still control way too much stuff, and people have to worry about the act of using your money in a way some other human being doesn't like. That's as simple as it gets. Government is just other people. They shit themselves in diapers just like the rest of us once. And now they got power over us in ways they don't deserve. And money laundering is just one more of them. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that I'm here and my eyes have been opened. You know, I, I live most of my life in darkness, not understanding money or any of the stuff. And Bitcoin not only you know, allowed me to grasp the concept of monetary history and, and money creation, and all the other things, but it just opened up. And I, I believe I'm not the only one. It opened my eyes to all the other corruption because as soon as you recognize that the money is at the root of all of it, having a, a form of money that no one controls like we have now takes away that power over a long enough period of time. It's just that Bitcoin is not ubiquitous enough for those people to lose power. And, and I'll say it, I'll say one last thing about that. The enforcers that allow them to maintain their power, they will all defect when the money they get paid is no longer worth anything. They will all find another way to earn a living. They won't stay loyal to these parasites. And so, again, it's going to take a while, but I do believe we're headed in the direction where all this stuff eventually goes away and people are allowed to live freely like it used to be. So thank you for giving me the opportunity and thank you for always being here every day of the week, for giving me and everybody else the opportunity to tune in to some very high signal Bitcoin news. Keeps me up to date while I'm going through my morning, getting things done. I get to listen to really smart people that come here every day and explain a lot of things I don't understand. And, uh, you know, we're all here for the same reason, in my opinion, for 
freedom and honesty and sound money and a better world. I think Bitcoin gets us there eventually, but we got a lot of roadblocks in the meantime. So when they talk about money laundering, just give them the finger. These people are parasites. They don't deserve a minute of our time and they all need to be hanged. Honestly, we should have public hangings again for many of these people. They've, they've, they've killed millions of people indirectly with their stupid magic words on paper and the ability to drop bombs on other people in other parts of the world and pay no price for it. Cops that have, uh, uh, what is it, qualified immunity, they can do things and they get it off the hook. Okay. They're just people. Jim. Jim, I, it's I, terrible. I, 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 hear, I hear your anger. Let's Sorry. go, Jim. I, 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 Let's I, I, go. Calls, calls for violent revolution um, and and things of that nature. I, I just, I, I don't think they belong on this show. Um, I apologize, but in my opinion, there are people who, in a, in a fair court of law, would get the death penalty because they deserve it, right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and kill anybody. I don't want to kill bugs. I don't want to kill anything. But some people don't deserve to take another breath on this planet. I'm sorry. That's just the reality of it. They're parasites. They've killed people. They don't deserve to continue to live. But they get away with it because they can. So I'm not calling for violent revolution either, Tomer. I agree with you. I'm not a violent person. I believe in the non-aggression principle. But I also believe in fairness. And people should pay for their, the things they've done wrong in this world. And these people get away with it. And it's not right. And it's because of the broken money. So thank you. you. I appreciate it. You don't need to call for it. Violence comes with most revolutions. What I love most about what you said there, though, is that you suggested that we're, Bitcoin is taking away money laundering. And I think that was, that was beautiful. I think the idea that the control is being taken away from the few and given back to the many. I think the idea that that on-chain transparency um, and, and, and as these laws start to go away, these tax laws, these sanctions, you know, these, these it's, it's amazing because we only can't move our money around because of those words they write down. We can't only can't spend our money on things because of words they write down. I think that's beautiful, Surfer. We're going to take the ability for them to call it money laundering away because there will be a system outside of their control. That's, that's a great point. Surfer, the passion that right. you just had um, was amazing. Th thank, you, thank you for the sentiment, uh, Surfer Jim. Like, I, again, I do think we, we find ourselves in a situation where the systems that have been put in place to protect us don't. And, and so we need something else to protect ourselves. I, I particularly love this idea and, uh, and hope that it turns out to be true of referring to Bitcoin as a, as a peaceful revolution. It is a revolution that, that everybody will come on board that redeems everybody ultimately because it's incorruptible. And so the temptation to act in a corrupted manner eventually goes away. We're still living in times of great corruption. I don't deny that. And, um, and, and I, I, you know, I would much rather take corruption being fixed um, and, and these people not coming to justice and these people coming to justice, but us continuing to live with a system of corruption. Um, at the end of the day, I think the benefits are far outweigh um, the overlooked um, the overlooked ability to seek justice here. And, uh, and, and if we have a system that's just, that replaces the old system, we can look back to history and say, you know, we used to live in un unjust times. Thankfully, we live in just times now rather than uh, we need to go, here, here's the people we need to go after because they're, they're just not going to be able to do unjust things. All right, we've got uh, some more speakers up here and more hands up. I don't know if, Pabi, you're up here, so if you wanted to say something, you could, but I do see Peter's hand up. Um, yeah, yeah. Parents, I see you on stage. Like, yeah, go, guys. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh. Peter's got his hand up first. Let let Peter go, man. Right. And, and sorry, I, I've missed you, have, Pubby. Yeah, we, we in, in just I, I, everyone just take one minute. We, we do have the clean spark guys here, and, and I've lost track of time. So I definitely want to give them because we've been talking so much about how much of, of a role energy plays in this amazing uh, technological breakthrough. So Pubby, go quick. Um, Mike. Terrence, just take a minute, and then I really want to give the guys from uh, Clean Spark and their time. No, let, let them go, man. Peter had his hand up. You guys go ahead. I'll, so, I'll just hey, I just over. wanted to say, I just cool. wanted to say, Surfer Jim. Sometimes revolutions need instigation, and that kind of Peter, path I don't is what you. instigates don't what revolutions. It's what makes us all Maybe so you. bullish. Do you guys hear Peter? Hey, Tomer. Yeah, just dropped out. Peter. Uh, Peter was talking. And then uh, real quick, uh, Peter, if you want to take a moment to like rehash what you just said, because the audience is going to have that mixture of both you guys speaking at once. Uh, Clean Spark and Zach Bradford, I sent you guys invites if you want to just uh, hop on. There you go. We got Zach up here. But Peter, go ahead and say what you're saying. I, I just wanted to say that 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 Surfer Jim passion like that is sometimes what it takes to instigate these revolutions. And um, you know, keep it coming because because when I heard that, I was so bullish. It just it made me so proud to be on stage with such passionate and intelligent people who teach me every day. And to be able to to be at the nexus of this thing, of this revolution. And sometimes revolutions are messy and sometimes they're clean. And we can't really determine how that's going to to play out, but I am telling you, we need to opt out of state-controlled money, Bitcoin, a money you can count on. It's a tough transition, but I just want to echo what you're saying because I've gotten to know Surfer Jim over the years, men now multiple times. Just you know, when a guy picks you up from the airport in Austin for big block, boom, doesn't get any better. But man, it's a righteous anger, man. He has a righteous anger, and sometimes that's okay. Look, he, I, we're not talking about you know stringing people up like this. However, Bitcoin is this beautiful, this beautiful revolution where, look, you, you simply opt out. You get your value outside the system. So I understand where Jim's coming from in this. And it's OK to say that sometimes you can be angry. It's all right. OK, it's a controlled anger, though. So I love you guys. All right. So we've got we've got real quick, Tal. Sorry, we got uh, Zach Bradford um, up here from Clean Spark. And Zach, um, I personally, I, I don't know how many individuals up here have, but I watched your guys' latest earnings call. Um, there was a lot of really good information that you <laughs> that you guys had to share as far as the success of your project. Do you want to give kind of like a an introduction to uh, for the audience as far as like the Clean Spark, the product, and the company, and then we'll have uh, we've got Nuclear Bitcoiner up here, uh, Tyler Blackbane. I sent you an invite if you want to talk because. Nuclear Bitcoiners obviously involved in nuclear. Uh, bad guy scooter is a miner. Uh, Tyler's an engineer. Like we could have a really good like conversation around Bitcoin mining and nuclear and the synergies that provides. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me on today. That was an engaging conversation, by the way, to uh, to listen to uh, in advance of this. So, um, really quick to uh, give everybody a little background about Clean Spark. Uh, we are a publicly traded miner. Um, right now, we're at about nine exahash um, on a daily production scale. We're we're about a top three compared to all of our peers um, for the U.S. Bitcoin mining uh, for for the publics at least. Um, we've we've grown rapidly um, over the last you know years. We've we've grown from almost nothing uh, 
Um, we, we put our first hash rate on in December of 2020. And um, we, we've really pushed through this bear market. And that's that's been important to us. If you look at our story, we've we've done things with a strategy over ideology approach, um, which often means we're doing the opposite of, of what some of the other players are doing. So uh, and so we're we're growing a little slower during the bulls. We are um, growing faster in the bear. We're you know, I myself, I'm a true believer in in the Bitcoin cycle and and really looking at what that does. Um, we, we mentioned it on earnings call, but we went from being a miner that was selling 100% of our production at Bitcoin peaks uh, 18 months ago to um, we've recently indicated, you know, our HODL strategy is taking a full 180. And we, we held almost everything that we produced uh, in July. And we're incredibly bullish on uh, what the next, uh, you know, several months bring, but also what, what halving it really comes. Now, how, how did how did I get in the space? How did we get in the space? Comes down to energy, as you mentioned, um, and so we we do have a focus on efficiency. So our fleet right now averages twenty nine joules per terahash, and we're we're pushing you know to twenty five by um, you know the next five six months, and we we want to push that e- even lower because obviously once halving comes, um, efficiency is going to be the number one thing that matters. But but. I, I do want to go back to energy because my, my Bitcoin journey and how I got exposed to it was actually out of frustration. Um, our company, uh, I co-founded it um, in 2014 with Matt Schultz, who's now our, our executive chairman. And our goal was to do positive things for the future of the energy grid. Um, we were really concerned about grid, how fragile it was. And so we came up with software technology that focused on the microgrid space. So we, we were doing work so that when the fragile grids went down, if you had a business or a data center, it was all about backup that was sourced from renewables. So this was really pairing renewable energy with batteries. But there's a huge problem in renewables, and that is everything is driven by money and payback times for most projects don't make sense. And so you find yourself in that business knowing that you, you know, if you're selling dollars and cents, you're talking seven, 12 year paybacks. And for most businesses, that just doesn't make sense. If you're then selling resiliency and redundancy, most boardrooms now, and the way the incentive programs work, they're, they're worried about the next quarter. And and when, when that happens, it's very hard to make a positive impact and move forward and make progress. And so I actually went to a data center in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, it was actually about two months before the pandemic happened. And I, I just knew it was a data center going in. And when I got there, I found it to be a non-traditional data center. And the owner was focused on um, not just conserving and using renewable power, but how could he squeeze an extra, you know, half a cent per kilowatt because he was Bitcoin mining. And I was fascinated. And, you know, for me, a little bit of luck with the pandemic actually is it locked us all in our houses for an extended period of time, um, or at least, you know, put us in front of computers a lot more. 
And so I went down the rabbit hole about Bitcoin and it, and it took me about six months to come to the full realization. But when when you want to make an impact and you can do it directly because energy transitions into something of value and something first of greater value than, you know, traditional fiat, but something that makes this all work. And, and with a focus on society and how really, if you're looking at positive impact, it's about how human minds think. And, and so with that, you know, late 2020, we decided to acquire that data center. And it's in Georgia. And we really like Georgia because of the nuclear power. Um, you know, a nuclear baseload power is really the, if you're talking about macro grids, it's really the best way, and and it's a sh it's a real shame that you know from a fear based approach, we've been avoiding nuclear power. So our our goal was to go into a place where we could use that to produce Bitcoin, produce positive impact in communities, um, and do it in a largely carbon free sense because obviously the sentiment was quickly shifting about that. Um, since then, we we've grown to we have um, over five. Bitcoin mines in Georgia. We also co-locate out of a facility um, up in New York. So that, that's where we're at today. I'll definitely take a pause here and and uh, you know open it up to some further discussions. But we're we're having fun, and that that's that's also a big part of this. Alex, did you have a question you wanted to ask him before I like push the conversation up? Yeah, just uh, just one hard question because that's what I'm always here for. Uh, if that's all right, if you're willing to take some hard questions. Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. So hard question. Um, you guys are doing amazing. It's awesome to see. I have a real gut feeling in uh, a sinking feeling in my stomach that a lot of the mining interest is going to leave America as regulators pick up here. I, I, if I'm correct, you guys route your, your hashes through a uh, subsidiary that, that uses Foundry as the main pool, correct? We, we do use Foundry as our main pool. Okay, so that's okay. And for context, for everybody listening, Foundry is the largest miner in America and one of the largest miners right now. Um, as far as public, publicly stuff we can see, um, does the OFAC compliance stuff concern you? Is it a business first or is it a, is a, is it a technology first? Um, what's your take on would you continue to run hashes in an OFAC compliant? pool um and if that steps up in the future what would you guys be willing to move you know that that's something that we we've definitely talked about before so you know as a publicly traded company in the u.s it depends on what it gets pushed our way so mining pools you know it, we we feel very comfortable with foundry we do find that foundry has taken you know a bitcoin first approach Foundry does, we are part of the Foundry USA pool, which we, we feel is important. It kind of keeps, um, you know, the hash rate under, you know, uh, under the, an umbrella that we trust. But Foundry also does have mining pools to operate outside of the, the U.S. So, you know, I can't really speak to what they would do, but we, we do like how they have approached it from a Bitcoin first approach. I do think, too, you know, if you just look at the tax law and how how that got laid out, how mining miners themselves are excluded from this, I think mining pools will also find themselves excluded by default. They're not named directly in the tax law. But, you know, since we're pushing our hash into a mining pool, um, I, I, I see that as just being viewed as a miner to 
from an IRS point of view. And from that's usually where tax laws lead to financial regulation laws. And so I, I think that there's at least a path where, you know, some of these things, it's going to be stuck in the exchanges. I think the exchanges themselves are going to be the ones that have to deal with this. And I'm hopeful and, and maybe it's hope. Um, that that this is something that we won't have to worry too much about. Obviously, there's been some pushes and there's been a few pools that have, you know, tried to do an OFAC uh, type of, you know, made some adjustments. But um, right now, we, we do feel comfortable with where we're at. We, it is a Bitcoin first. It is a question that we've, you know, debated. And I can't say that we've come out with anything certainty with, with certainty. And that's really because we have to know that, as a public company, you know, we, we do have regulators of our own and it depends on their view on, on how this happens, unfortunately. And, and just I'll close with, I think the vector here will be ESG and increased regulations on, on electricity consumption, mm-hmm. including and especially things like Bitcoin. And then the government will offer American mining organizations, American mining publicly traded companies, uh, essentially subsidies, power subsidies, discounts off those additional taxes they have to pay, which will allow them to be, you know, more effective than a lot of other miners in that in that sense. So it's it's going to be a very compelling argument that the government's able to make with subsidies, I think, for OFAC compliance. You know, I, I think that's an interesting thesis. Um, you know, the, the counterpoint to that is, is um, if you really look at the energy subsidies and how energy is really regulated, it's done on a state level. And so there's, you know, I think a state would have to be in agreement to this. Um, if you look at where we operate in Georgia, I don't see them uh, necessarily looking kindly into uh, federal overreach. And so I do think that, you know, you'd have to get quite a few states signed up. I also think we're we're set for an administrative change, you know, next November. And so I think, you know, anything of this type, it usually takes years to, to get pushed through. Um, and I, I think if something were to start today, it wouldn't get through before what, what, what I see is a very likely change coming up. Well, do any lobbying you can to get those WEF politicians out. And I think you'll be right. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Nuclear, what you got for uh, Zach here, man? I got two questions, one related to Vogel being fired up and one related to SMRs and your experience in hybrid energy systems. So the first one around Vogel, I was curious if there is any intention of expanding beyond just like the local co-ops that you guys have said that you have been building your, your data centers around and if there's any intention to creep up the utility stack to uh, have a relationship with Southern Power and possibly do something similar to what's going on up in Susquehanna with a terrible project up there and building behind the meter. You know, that, that, that's a great question, but um, it, again, a key piece in understanding, knowing that regulation of uh, how the energy grids work and how even transactions amongst utilities work is done on a state level. Currently, um, state law would prohibit um, a minor to for buying power directly from a generator so all generators have to sell through really a central hub with which at the state level is intended to you know ensure that there's no uh, unfair treatment of customers downstream and uh so so that's how it sits currently 
Now, this is one area where I believe uh, on a long-term basis, and, and this is why you know we're we're we are the largest miner, and we'll be even larger than we are today. Of course, in in a few months, uh, as we get on our path to 16 exahash, um, as we hit these levels, we we do plan to you know make some pushes on the government side to open open up the door, hopefully and to where we can work more directly with utilities. Because as it's structured right now, we are providing an immense amount of benefit to the communities. Um, and, and I want to step back first and say how we've always approached this is been going through the front door. So in every city that we've gone to, um, we've, we've always walked right in. Um, we know all the city council members. We know the community. Um, and, and we make sure that they know who we are, what we're doing. Because one, that's good for Bitcoin, and two, it, it's good for us. But also, um, on a long-term basis, the hearts and minds of the communities we operate in is how we make an impact at, at a bigger scale, both on a state level and then on a federal level. But um, going back to the topic at hand, going through the front door has allowed us to have at least some conversations with um, you know, fairly high-level people on the Public Services Commission, Public Utilities Commission, and you know, went through MEAG and Southern Company. On a long, it's going to take a long-term view, but on a, a multi-year view, I do hope that we could work directly with utilities at the generation level. And the reason that is, is because anytime generators are not making money, what they're really doing is shifting that cost into a future rate structure, whether that's the rate, you know, two hours from that moment, or whether it's a rate in the next three-year cycle when they reset. So if we can help them save money at the source, the downstream effect will be positive for all participants of the grid, not just communities in which we operate. We, we have been able to show that the impacts at the community level, we can have an impact to not only reduce the surrounding uh, participants' energy costs because we can come in and out, of course, of the power grid, um, but you know, really, it's limited. It's limited to that community that we operate in and probably, you know, a small surrounding area of the grid. Um, in the co-ops that we operate in that are not just community specific, it doesn't mean it benefits the whole, whole co-op, but, you know, anybody else downstream, they're not necessarily getting the benefit of their rate structure. And if they're not getting a benefit, it does mean that rates, you know, risk going up for everybody, including us. So, you know, roundabout way of saying it, I do think we can get there. I do think it's going to take some political push and lobbying. And I do think that when we do, um, we're going to, our focus is going to be to prove it out that we can provide a broad and long-term benefit statewide to power rates. Mickey, I see your hand. Um, give me a second here because there's something I also wanted to bring. Zach actually rolled into a question I wanted to ask him anyway. So that's perfect. Um, Zach, in your guys' earnings call, you guys had also stated that uh, you guys radically increased the tax revenues for Washington, Georgia. Could you touch on that real quick? Because I think you also you guys also reduced your cost for energy by, what, 11% since uh, the, the previous month or the previous quarter. Could you just speak on those points real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we participate on a market-based rate structure is first what, what I'll point to. And, you know, we, we've done this with a long-term view with Vogel coming online. We've already seen a benefit to um, energy rates. Now, Georgia is a net export state. So we've, that means that 
we're allowing them by consuming it in state to keep it, you know, in inside the state borders, which does, you know, generate tax revenue and, and top line revenue. Um, but we're, we're making a long term bet on the fact that this is one state that is increasing its generation where m- the majority of other states, as they're working through their transitions, are actually decreasing generation. Therefore, rates have nowhere to go but up because of a lack of abundance. So Georgia is a state of abundance. That's the main reason that we are seeing power savings uh, on our, you know, our bills. Now, what we've done specifically in Washington, a little bit of background on Washington. Um, Before Bitcoin mining came to Washington, um, their entire city budget was about 15, 16 million dollars. And this was a city who actually had a mayor who ran on a platform of reducing the utility costs to the city because they were amongst the highest in the state. Um, They participate in a co-op, which is known as the Municipal Electrical Association of Georgia, and so MEAG. And um, when we came in, we were able to access, you know, the co-op level power and the city behind it. Now, each of these cities acts as their own utility, even though the generation is owned by the co-op. And so when we came in, we negotiated a win-win with that city. So the city gets a margin. Regardless of what the underlying wholesale cost is, they get a fraction of a penny on every single kilowatt that we use. It's straight straight to their general fund. We also pay sales tax in, in the state on our power. That sales tax that we pay um, on a monthly basis is larger than the entire city's sales tax revenue every single And so if you look at the impact on a small rural community, with less than 4,000 people that live there, their city budget went from being about 16 million to just under 30 million um, inside a very, very short period of time. And it will likely increase further um, because we just, in, in July, we doubled the size of that site from a little more than doubled from 36 megawatts to 86 megawatts. And so all those numbers, the sales tax numbers, the revenue numbers of the city, will will actually double. An important thing too about sales tax is, you know, in the state of Georgia, it's broken up, you know, different pieces of it go to the county, different pieces of it go to the city, but a large portion of what goes into that sales tax goes into the school system. And so the school systems in rural Georgia, um, unfortunately, are not always, you know, something to write home about. Um, But what we're able to do in the communities is have a positive impact in directly funding schools. And and, and that's meaningful. If you look at places that are underserved and underprivileged, you don't have to leave um, rural USA to find those places. Um, And so, again, this this is an effort in not only having a positive impact, but, you know, a hearts and minds approach to Bitcoin. Um, This is a city that. You know, you, you go an hour further south and there is a city that has concerns about Bitcoin and they're, you know, afraid of what it means. And then you have this city who is celebrating Bitcoin, celebrating the fact that there are, you know, high paying jobs in that city. Um, and yes, we, we do only employ about 30 people in the city, but that means we're, we're employing a, you know, a, a decent percentage of the working population um, in, in that city. And, and those members in that community are making above average wages and the community is seeing that. 
we now have a city that is willing to, you know, go buy a little Bitcoin um, and they see it as a, a good thing. So all of this has, a, has quite an impact, but that, that's how we're making the impact on the community. We are doubling the budget, schools, roads, things like that. Um, and I think that's important too, you know, so often when politicians and things talk about the impact of Bitcoin mining in particular, um, they say, well, it's not that many jobs. Well, it may not be that many jobs in comparison to what? A factory? Uh, there's not a lot of factories that exist in the U.S., whether we like it or not. Um, so 30 high paying jobs, but it's the construction jobs. You know, that that expansion, um, we spent about 15, 16 million dollars. We hired only local contractors. Um, all those local contractors, they filled up gas locally. They ate at the local, um, you know, restaurants. Um, all those dollars flow through the city and they usually turn over two to three times um, every dollar that we spend. And, and so th this is something I think that it, we, we want to bring forward from, uh, you know, the things that politicians should be seeing is, is that. Um, and, and, and hopefully we, we can make that a, a much more prevalent discussion point is really community impact. Nuclear, um, uh, sorry, Mickey, I'm not, I'm not trying to be an asshole, I swear, but, but nuclear, because he is uh, um, specifically involved in this industry, I believe he had one more question before his uh, phone dies. So nuclear, go ahead and then we'll go to Mickey. Yeah, apologies for jumping the line. My phone is at 4%. I just had another one related to your experience with uh, hybrid energy systems, because where I work at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories, we have a group that's developing complex hydro uh, hybrid energy systems. And they put out a study that's publicly available that I suggest most people involved in miners uh, mining look up, just called the SMR Feasibility Study for Remote Mining in Northern Canada. And it just shows the examples of how they're trying to construct these systems without mining being available to them and how they're trying to put together these complex systems with multiple different generation sources. Well, I'm trying to pitch to them, just build the SMRs, use the miners as a placeholder until that space gets filled in by a more sophisticated industrial process. And yeah, I was just curious if, if you guys had like kind of long-term intentions and ambitions as the SMRs reach commercial state to engage in hybrid energy systems as that is something that you guys already have expertise in. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it focused on the, the generation side. Um, you know, one of the things I, I want to point to is you, you mentioned complex systems. You know, that, that becomes one of those issues is, well, in order to make these systems work and transport the energy, store the energy, there's complexities. And, you know, sometimes those complexities is, is what gets in the way. And I can't tell you how many projects we got involved in with with hybrid systems that we were working on that, um, you know, you build, you, you engineer, you design, everything looks good. And, and it starts to be, you know, the, the edge cases and the whole thing just grinds to a halt. And and but ultimately, at the end of the day, you can engineer out all the complexities. But if you don't have an off taker to use the energy and you know that you're going to have to deploy capital for, you know, an extended period of time, none of it works. Um, how we how we really or how I, I see the future of Bitcoin mining is right now there's quite a few areas where they're, I'm going to call them super sites. Um, and, you know, Riot, you know, uh, is the largest example of this. They have a single site that consumes, you know, hundreds of megawatts. 
Our largest site will be 230 megawatts when it's done. It currently is at, at 80 in Sander, Sandersville. Um, and, and I see benefits to that when it comes to specific regional congestion. But on a long-term basis, I really think that where Bitcoin mining is going to go is actually going to go back to a fully distributed system. But it will be larger miners that have you know bigger chunks of this. But I'm seeing deployments where we do stand up next to a hybrid system, you know, in, in Canada that may not have transmission lines available to it yet. It may be that it stands up, you know, next to the, the solar farm that is waiting in line for connection for four years. And, and it needs to be modular. And even on a long-term basis that I think will take longer to get done on a regulatory side is standing up instead of putting batteries throughout utility systems, you spread out two megawatts at a time across, you know, for example, a, a large a metro area that nobody even knows it's it's a Bitcoin miner that is is sitting in a, you know, a, a container or sitting at the corner of a, a, an industrial building to use to balance the load. Um, our grid is so fragile that most of us have no idea about the complexities at any point of it that it really takes to keep it in line. Bitcoin mining isn't a silver bullet, but it is a tool that can be used on our grids, whether it is an SMR in, in Canada that just needs a test case to use the power so that it can you know, further technological advancement in our space, or whether it's true grid balancing, not as you know a, a 600 megawatt data center sitting in a desert, but instead a half a megawatt and two megawatts at a time spread out regionally through a whole area. So there's there's huge things that Bitcoin mining can do. And the number one thing they can solve to create technological advancement for our grid is the fact that we are willing customers to purchase power that may have a $0 value um, to somebody else at that moment in time. And the moment in time is usually what kills technology projects because time is what's needed for innovation. All right, let's go to Mickey, and then we'll have to unfortunately get into a sprinting motion here as far as handling the hands with Alex and then Heritage, who's up on stage. And I still wanted to also give Marshall Long an opportunity to kind of chime in here. He's been hanging out. And then I have one last question for Zach, and then Jacob will take it away as far as shutting everything down. So, Mickey, go ahead, man. Yeah, so I remember running across an article <clears throat> doing research for a Bitcoin magazine piece where, where Duke Energy in North Carolina actually had an increase in emissions from adding solar to the grid because of the the duck curve sort of eating into baseload energy and them having to ramp up and down their their gas plants and then it it, it seems to have a, a pretty heavy correlation between wind farms and negative energy prices and so i i think a lot of people are sort of unaware to like negative externalities associated with the intermittent renewable energy sources. C could you kind of speak towards like the concept of, of clipped solar energy and, and the synergies between, you know, intermittent renewables and, and Bitcoin mining and sort of what, what clean spark is doing to help mitigate things like that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the duck curve is really the entire, you know, not the entirety, but the majority of the problem when it comes to renewables. 
Um, and, and for those of you who don't know, the duck curve really represents, you know, the easiest way to think about it is with solar wind. It's the same thing. It's when the wind blows or when the sun comes up, but when the sun goes down is when we all go home. It's when we turn on our lights. It's when we actually, you know, turn the TV on. And that's when we're using power is at the opposite time of when it's made available to the grid. And so what happens if we look at solar as a generating asset, let's say it's 100 megawatts, and we're seeing this happen, and it's going to be a real problem actually in the north, Northeast, where um, you have a choice. You either have to make up that power curve if you remove other, you know, base load generation, which is on 24-7, um, and you have to move to peaker plants, which is where you have to turn on a natural gas plant to make up for the power use because you're lacking base load 24-hour um, around-the-clock generation. And so the a, a problem that happened in many grids, and this is a huge problem in California right now, is looking at 400 megawatts of solar on paper as being equal to 400 megawatts of generation out of a, a power plant. And, and so the mismatch and use of power to con the power availability is a problem. And, and it's also a problem too, because the solar, um, it, it has nowhere to go. And so actually these, some of these huge solar farms, the power is being grounded and not used when it is available. Now, there's two ways to solve this problem. One is with batteries. Now, batteries have a round-trip efficiency problem, and that means if you put power into one end of a battery, by the time it, come out, by the time it comes out to use it, you've lost some percentage of it. It could be as much as 20% of that power, and there's a lot of technology moving to make that power drop less. But a better thing to do is just to consume it, and it's better because the generators want to get paid on what they produce and a Bitcoin miner will take it, pay for it. Um, and, and there is no load loss. And then the Bitcoin miner disappears to pass it down the line. Now you still have a problem with the duck curve in the sense that when the sun goes down, depending on where you're at, is there enough generation? Now, let's let's talk about all the other types of generation and nuclear being one of those. You don't turn a nuclear power plant off and on, and they're very expensive to build, unfortunately. And so what's the best way to get the bang for your buck to ensure there's 24-7, 365 power that's available and abundant to be used? And that is to have somebody that's going to consume it, not just when everybody else is, but um, in the middle of the night when everybody's asleep. So we're, we're helping pay that power plant off all the time. It doesn't produce carbon. And it's just a better way to do it. There's a lot of hydrogen, you know, developments happening. Unfortunately, hydrogen is still expensive. But again, you know, I don't want to stray too far because it was a duck curve question. Bitcoin miners and their ability to come off and on the grid within seconds is, is one way to not only fix it, but to pay for renewables that need to be oversized in order to actually cover the needs of power during, you know, extended periods of time. Heritage. Let's go to you first, um, and then uh, just for the the two hands, Heritage and Alex. Let's uh, let's try and keep the questions relatively concise so that we can get the the solid um, answers from Zach, and then go on to Marshall, and then kind of wrap things up. So, Heritage, take it away, man. Yes, thanks, Mike. Um, I'm Heritage Faladun speaking from Nigeria. I mean, great expansion from SAC. Um, actually, my question is, um, I mean, I read some 
articles on Bitcoin magazine. I'm, I'm also a contributor. I write majorly about mining for African jurisdiction. And my question to him is, um, the article I wrote that gives out data about um, the electricity auctions, the cost and all of that. And um, my question to Saku would be, what are the criteria? What are the things? Probably you coming in as an investor now, what are the things you need to like see in a particular jurisdiction that then satisfy or certify that jurisdiction okay and suitable for Bitcoin mining? Yeah, so from a suitability point of view on a jurisdictional basis, um, you know, it, it just comes down to scale. Um, so anywhere that we would go that's new, we're, we're looking for, you know, on, and, and I'm going to speak to us because there's a lot of different people that are doing a lot of different things in, in the space. But, you know, basically anywhere that has low cost power, that has, you know, a, a stable area for us to operate. The you know, last thing we want to do is to go into any region where we set up and then there's a risk that we, we lose the assets, um, you know, the miners in any way. Um, but, you know, th that's, that's really what, what's needed is reliable, low-cost power and the ability for us to have community impact. That's, that those, are, those are the two things we, we look for. Um, we, we actually are interested in doing pilot scales internationally. And one of the easiest ways to do a pilot scale internationally for us is, you know, we're, we're, we're really pushing hard and pursuing efficiency with our miners. Now, as we do that, that means we're unracking, uh, potentially, you know, lower efficiency miners. And we have a choice at that point is we have a choice to put them into a second generation facility and um, more remote locations, um, international locations may prove great locations for us to deploy those to, or we can also sell those into um, the, the markets. And there's always a place for a miner to be put to use. It may not be put to you know, good use at scale for us. Um, but it may may do great, um, you know, in a different region. So, you know, everything is different. Um, ultimately, it comes down to, you know, you want to be able to plug the miner in and have it, you know, produce Bitcoin profitably so you can pay workers and, and everything that's needed there to run, you know, a business. Um, but, you know, we're I, I do think that it will become more distributed. And I think that there's going to be a lot of edge cases that make sense. Nice. Well, All right. Let's. Yeah, thank, thank, thank you. Thank you for that. That was actually a very good question, um, Heritage, as far as like getting things moved to a more international position with not only nuclear, but Bitcoin mining. Let's move on to Alex. And then, uh, Marshall, if you have any comments or anything, we'll move to you. And then I have one last question. We'll close out. OK, Zach, I appreciate the, uh, the time. Um, so, of course, we're going back to Foundry. Uh, from my understanding, they were one of the first three groups that uh, started supporting the ordinals, the uh, NFTs on Bitcoin. Um, so I was just wondering about your take on BIP 300 and BIP 301 and uh, the MEV possibly coming to miners on Bitcoin, uh, which, you which know, you'll probably be one of the first miners to benefit from if there is MEV on Bitcoin, right? Because Foundry will sign up for that shit immediately. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think I think anything that um, benefits first the ecosystem, I see is a good thing. I do think that innovation and, and change is positive. I also look to 
you know, I'm, I'm going to look to impact, right? Because impact is unknown, but it, anything that can create um, uh, the, the ordinals are the easy example. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just point to that for a second because that was a new change. We saw uh, it wasn't long term, but we saw a, a short term, you know, spike in transaction fees. You know, I, I do like to take a you know 50 year look at Bitcoin and anything that increases its utility, anything that can increase um, you know additional fees for chosen participants that the, the want to participate in these new things is a good thing for mining and and the innovation that that it can support because we we you know on a long-term basis you know and it's still 120 years from now but the whole ecosystem will have to be supported on on transaction fees so um you know th th there's a lot of new developments i could speak to each of them individually i know we don't have time today but but i do think innovation and change um are going to be a good thing and i i that's one of the reasons i do like foundry is they do lean into um, innovation and change really quickly and always have a, you know, a, a fast understanding of it. Yeah, we've got a few more minutes here. I already texted the, the Simply Bitcoin guys and apologized to them for uh, my taking this much longer than we uh, had intended to. And thank you, Alex, for bringing up the probably the only word in Bitcoin that I really dislike most. Um, so thank you for that. Marshall, what, what, <laughs> what, Marshall, what did you want to chime in here with, uh, with the discussion with Zach at Queens Park? No, I just want to say uh, I think Clean Sparks doing a great job, Zach. Uh, you guys have learned a lot in a short amount of time. Um, you know, so big, big credit to you guys. You guys are uh, spreading the good word, and uh, nothing you've said is uh, anything but sterling here. So that's uh, just want to say, keep up the great work. You've got a great team. You know, you got Taylor over there, and and you guys are doing uh, great stuff. So I just want to say thanks for being uh, one of the good miners and not one of the shit miners. So well done. <laughs> Appreciate it, Marshall. Appreciate that a lot. All right. I got one last question. So, Zach, um, it has been brought to my attention that you guys are a sponsor for the Pacific Bitcoin Conference coming up here in the fall. Um, I the, the real quick question that I had for you was that, are you guys going to have a physical presence there? And if you are, what are you guys looking forward to as far as that event goes? Ooh, that's a great, a great question. Um you know, I'm going to be there. So we will have a physical presence there. And um, I'm going to be bringing a couple of my team members. Um, I actually don't know. I know that the team's been talking about whether we're going to have a booth or not a booth, but I know we're going to be there. So we are, we are looking forward to it, to attending. Awesome. Well, I, 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 Jacob, you might want to just like take it here as far as you guys have like your little closeout spiel <laughs> and everything. And I have sure. zero control over that. Uh, well, no, I, I mean, huge shout out to Mike uh, filling in extremely last minute, but um, really appreciative of all the speakers that do join on the regular. Um, but Mike, thank you for today and Tomer as well being a co-host. But um, Zach, it was amazing to hear what you had to say as well. And thank you again for being a Pacific Bitcoin sponsor. We're excited to see you there, but just wanted to give you, you know, some moments to uh, give some closing comments for the people that are listening to the show on the podcast. You know, where can they find you and and more information about CleanSpark. Excellent. So um, if you want to find me, I'm, I'm active on Twitter. I'm really not active on any other uh, platform at all, or I should say X uh, nowadays. Um, you can find CleanSpark. Obviously, go to our website. Um, you could, we, we are publicly traded. CLSK is our ticker. I'd obviously encourage everybody to check it out. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to you know, do the good work. 
we are the fastest growing right now. And, you know, we're, we're on track to be, you know, we're, we're third largest. I think right now we're on track to be, um, you know, even larger with 16 X a hash later this year. And um, just we're, we're having a good time doing the Bitcoin mining and always trying to do it the right way and, and be the example of how to do it. So appreciate everybody listening. Um, please look us up and you can find out more. All right, great. Well, I'm going to do my best Alex impersonation as we wrap this show. So um, thank you guys for tuning in to Cafe Bitcoin. It is your place for morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin. So I really appreciate everybody joining and hanging out. Um, it's available as a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Thanks to Swan, as always. Really appreciate all the work that everybody does at Swan. Um, huge thanks to the crew um, who I did just get to the chance to hang out with last week, which was a very, very special time. Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked, Don Bay, Mike Hobart. Huge, huge shout out. Um, thank you again, Tomer. Thank you again to the speakers. And guys, get on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out. You'll figure it out. I love what you guys do. Go have a great day and crush it.